Welcome back to the experience. I'm Warren Rustborough. And I'm Dirk Bradley. Novice Team Gold Dragon's ongoing Battle Axis quest has brought them face-to-face with a mysterious open book. Not unlike young Dirk here. I'm more of a scratch-and-sniff magazine kind of guy, Rusty. No argument there. What strange symbolisms do the empty pages of this waiting tome represent? Do they too hunger to be filled with unspoken fables? They should fill it with stories about me. I got a million of them. Is that so? Please, Dirk, regale us with one of your many tales of daring. Uh, well, one time I was attacked by a group of griffins. That was earlier today. I paid top dollar for a copy of that footage. Uh, there was another time. I I got trapped in a... That was last week. Again, everyone knows. Didn't anything of note happen to you before you got this job? Huh. Now that you mention it, other than my crucible attempt, I I haven't really done that much. Certainly didn't get beat up as much. Have you considered another career? Children's birthday magician, perhaps? Nah, can't figure out how to get the rings apart once I got them on. Besides, you wear enough tall hats and dead milk pigeons, sooner or later the smell stinks your dreams away. I'm sure you'd make an interesting master of ceremonies at, say, discount local events. I am a flashy dresser, and my lounge covers of popular songs are certainly received. Dirk, if you could do anything with your life... What would it be? I never really thought about it. I only really took this job because... Now, now this is this is it. I, I'd do this. This is great. I love doing this. While Dirk contemplates his purpose in life, let's tune into the Battle Axis and see what's on the next page for our novice-ranked adventurers. You stand in a room unlike those that came before. No archways to stairs, no books on the wall. The only book rests on a pedestal, its pages blank, save for the one you see before you. A Tale of Journeys Past, by Halifon Orison Jr. It's not the name I'd ever expect to see on a book, but <laughs> it is blank. Yeah, uh, yep. I've seen it on more than one editorial, but... Do you know what this means, Hal? Uh, that my life will never amount to anything because my book is empty? As you say the words, my life will never amount to anything because my book is empty, those words seem to appear as if by magic across the page. Oh shit. It's taking dictation? That's weird. Does anyone know what I'm supposed to do with the book? From what I know about the pages, it involves psychic energy. So maybe even your thoughts. Uh, door open. Nothing happens. Archway passable. What if you think about something pertaining to you or your thoughts? Like what? What do you you mean? The only other clue in the room is the archway itself, which reads, A hero's journey never ends. Changes faces, begins again. It must be talking about um, story structure. There are only really like six to twelve stories in existence. Everything else is just a a, a version of the same. Mm, yes, the hero's story. Yes, that's that's what I'm saying. This makes sense with the archway. Are you familiar with the hero's story, Hal? Which one? Uh, the concept therein, the the skeleton in which. The musculature and organs of most tales reside. No. Well, 
My brother always had a verse that he'd recite, always preparing me for the future, that one. How did it go? Before the road's beneath your feet, and home is miles behind you, there is a kit we all must meet, to always keep beside you. To make it on the path of life, entrust these tools to have your back. Well-made shoes, a trusty knife, a wide-brimmed hat, a sturdy pack. Keep a coin inside your shoe. A time will come when you will need it. Keep dried meat that's cured in salt. A time will come when you will eat it. But in each village you may pass, there is one tool that serves you best. To always keep inside your mind a story of the hero's quest. Learn to tell it start to end, and bring it to the tavern floor, to earn a drink, a meal, a friend. A good tale opens any door. Start with a world much like our own, a hero just like you or me. But then they witness chaos sown, and they are changed by what they see. To choose to act or choose to hide, our hero rises to the call, and vows to right the wrongs with pride. Sets out alone to give their all. Along the way they make some friends and learn new skills to meet their foes. These lessons guide them to the end, and now they seize the life they've chose. Conflict, anguish, sadness, death. The hero wades through pain and woe, and fighting to their final breath, they overcome their dreaded foe. They've saved the day and paid the price. Now people cheer our hero's name, and with their noble sacrifice... They carry on the hero's pain. These stories are a currency. They light a fire inside our hearts. They make us move with urgency. They make us want to do our part. So don't forget the hero's tale and see yourself inside that role. For inspiration never fails to unify and heal the soul. Perhaps this book seeks a tale of Halophon, one that's not on the screens of the L.U.Q., these books are filled with the history of lives of others. So you mean like something interesting that happened to me before I was in the league? Um, we've all faced trials in our past. I'm sure we've all been the hero in some kind of story, be it small or large. Mm. Will, I guess I could tell you about the first time that I met Mum and died. Don't tell us. Tell the book, but we're listening. Hal looks at the book. It was my seventh birthday. Um, I was having a birthday party with my friends. You may or may not know my aunt and uncle raised me, what with dead being dead when I was born already. Um, and we had friends over to celebrate, and I was having a League of Ultimate Questing-themed party. I was about to blow out the candles on my cake when all of a sudden there was a huge surge of flame. And you know how in some stories, uh, when Celestials appear, they say things like, be not afraid? That's not how Mum rolls. Her choice of words were, um, it is time, which in hindsight, if she ever had used any, maybe not the wisest choice of words to use after appearing in a burst of flame in front of a seven-year-old. <laughs> but that's that's mum. Apparently seven is a uh, divine number and very important to her culture. 
And so she'd come to claim me. That was interesting. My aunt and uncle were not very amused by this, having been trusted with me, but you don't really argue with a celestial, especially when my aunt only made hero rank and my uncle was out with an injury after champion. So she took me home, at least for a bit. She wanted to see if I was uh, everything that she expected. Mum's plane isn't a great place. Uh, she's a battle angel, you could say. She's not really an angel, but that's what people call her. She brings people to the afterlife on the plane of infinite battle. And she wanted to test my battle prowess. So she dropped me in an arena. And then she dropped in an orc. I will remind you, I was seven. <laughs> he stabbed me. <laughs> And I was about to die, and she saved me. And she got rid of the orc, and she dropped in a goblin. It shot me with an arrow, and I almost died again. She got rid of the goblin. She brought in a wolf. It ripped my legs out from underneath me, pinned me on the ground, and bit my face. And she got rid of the wolf. And then... I don't know if she thought she was being insulting or if this was just her progression of events, but she brought in a puppy. A little jowly, round thing, covered in slobber and full of energy. And it ran up to me, and it licked me in the face, and knocked me unconscious. <laughs> That's not actually true, it didn't knock me unconscious, it just licked me a whole bunch. And she was pretty irritated with it because it was supposed to try and fight me. And so she tried to kill it, and I jumped in front of it and died. Mum had to bring me back, and she wanted to get rid of the dog, but the entire time that I was down, it was just perched on my chest. And it wouldn't leave me. Little celestial dog. Some sort of divine creature. I don't know what kind of dog it is. But I still have that dog. In Mom's plane, not down here. People get weird around celestial animals. At the time, I was watching classic episodes of the League of Ultimate Questing. I thought it would be funny to name him Morty. Not a lot of people get it, but it makes me smile. <laughs> and Mum looked at me, and she said, The puppy had still defeated me, because I didn't kill it. And so she sent me back to my aunt and uncle's house and I started training I skipped the little league I thought about joining it but believe it or not they don't really it's hard to be around other kids when you've experienced dying once they don't quite understand the stakes and they think you're a bit weird you talk about having your throat ripped out by a wolf or stabbed through the chest by an orc or shot in the bollocks by a goblin so I just trained, and I joined up, and here I am. I've killed things now, stronger than orcs. I still think Mum would kill me, though. Maybe not one day. The words are scribed across the book, edited and tightened, ums and ahs removed, and there it is, the story you told. That's when the page turns. At the top, a tale of journeys past. 
by Gaspar Aleph Knott. Damn, Lord Rob. <laughs> so this is my turn to share a story. Okay. The city of Abel is one of infinite, but early on you realize where in the infinite you stand, and that is where you are forced to stay. Perpetual poverty. We are the in-betweens, the things meant to be forgotten. On one particular day, my friend and I, whose name I seem unable to recall, but we shall call them Locke, scrounging around for food or whatever we could for sustenance. It's hard to even eat dirt when you live in a place of stone and metal. By some chance, one of the more blessed left a little side door open. These great megaliths of opulence and wealth, and they couldn't care less if they had left it unlocked. We snuck inside and there it was. Things beyond our reach. I don't think we comprehended most of it, but our stomachs comprehended some things. We had tasted flavors we had never tasted, ate to a satisfaction we had never known before, and it did not end there. No one was guarding any of the doors, the stairways, these elevators. So we took our adventure, wherever an open door was left. We found our way near the tops of one of these megaliths. It seemed as if they were constructing something there, these magnificent tools that would recreate reality, change it, shape it. I thought about taking a few of them. I had no understanding of how they worked. One thought I had was, if I could simply just sell this to somebody, I could make enough to survive, even thrive. But I could not bear to take him. I don't understand why. Perhaps that tool belonged to somebody else, was meant for them, belonged to somebody that could actually create something. I was there only to live off of what they had made. Instead, I took something simple. Just one nail. A tool I could comprehend. Simply strike it into something else. We heard movement, the first in what seemed like days. Understanding that we had no authority to be here, our existences possibly erased if we were ever caught, made a break for the window that they were still constructing. It led onto scaffolding and rafters, onto another megalith, one that should not have had a side door open at least at the bottom. But here I was, in what seemed like a warehouse for tools of travel and creation, not just shifting. It seemed like I could go anywhere, leave Abel, if only I knew how to work any of them. You see, they did not just starve us of food to keep us weak. They starved us of knowledge that we could not even leave. And so I just destroyed what I could, I and Locke. But the destruction was not unheard. 
perhaps because we were overcome by this this confused rage. But as these enforcers came, obviously, I was no match for them. They had armaments of wonder. And I look around and I do not see Locke. I fear they had already been erased. And thinking, perhaps I can hold my own in a fight, realize that wouldn't be even a second thought for them. So I gave up. No resistance. Simply surrendered myself. And in that moment, they looked at me with zero regard. I was just something to be smoothed over. They did not think I could do anything else. Nor did I, but they had completely let down their guard. And in that window, that period of time where they decided that I could do nothing, I took advantage of it, simply threw a few destroyed implements into the air. And as they comprehended my simple action of attempting to resist their overwhelming authority, I ran. I broke through the construction into the other megalith once more, found my way through stairwells, several other beings asking me how I got here, but not even bothering to stop me as I ran past them. And somehow, making it all the way back to the streets that I called home, I realized I had destroyed an infinite amount of wealth, and it meant nothing to them, truly. And I, with these pieces of scraps, had made more than I could ever think of. And somehow, I was still the lesser. And sitting over at the window of one of these taverns was Locke, who had already sold the few scraps that they had stolen and was drinking, raised a glass to me. And that is the moment I realized that this was my place in infinity. Your story appears within the book, and the page turns. A Tale of Journeys Pass By the Witness to the Withering Acre I suppose then it's my turn, isn't it? I feel I'm overly prepared for such a task. My brother has always lived a life of adventure, each morning venturing out on distant roads to faraway places to do trade, gather news, and taste life outside of the withering acre, each night returning with stories, coins from afar, and small gifts from distant lands. How I looked up to him, how I cherished his tales, and envied his experiences. I was just a child. He told me someday maybe I could go with him, but I wasn't ready. Sister told me I needed to be at home. I had to tend to my studies and tend to the field. Mother would be sick to know if I wasn't safe, and father agreed, as silent as the third. But one cold morning, before the sun awoken, I grabbed my seed bag a loaf of mother's bread, and a kitchen knife, wrapped myself in blankets, and snuck out to follow him. 
When we are young, curiosity often wins over common sense. I followed him down the western road, past the dark fields, along the waning birch fence, and over the dwindling river. I don't know how he moved as fast as he did. He strolled with a song in his heart, and the sun at his back, but I dare say I could have hardly kept pace on horseback. My young spindly legs pumped furiously, straining to stay in sight of him. The promise of new sights and new faces won over the exhaustion. I was doing well, until the road ventured into the black woods. I'd only been there once, with father, in the wagon collecting fallen wood and lighting small fires to control the summer burn. The path was twisting. It seemed to face in all directions at once, and despite the blinding days of the afternoon sun I had been facing, the forest was in a state of eternal midnight. I ran to keep up, but my brother seemed to be one with the shadows. Laughing as the darkness stretched out from the old trees to pursue him, I lost him there. I lost him in no time, and then I was alone. Panic is not fear, and I was blessed to be stuck in the place called Panic for quite some time before the fear truly set in. I had tried to be silent in my pursuit, but as the path became hidden, and the old towering trees, both dead and vibrant, closed in, I shouted for him. The words were swallowed by the night hanging heavy between the branches. I was lost. It could have been hours I pressed on, trying desperately to find a path, any sign of life to pursue, but there was nothing. I thought being this alone was the worst thing possible. I cried to myself, and sat down near the base of a tree to lament my own doom. I was wrong about being alone. There was something much worse, and it was upon me. I wasn't alone at all. Father told me about the creatures in the black wood. I had sworn he had woven tales of ultimate terror to keep me from wandering off on my own. But even his sinister words didn't do them justice. Beasts that wear the skin of great hounds. Fangs like icicles. Eyes like ripe grapes dripping with the wine of corruption. They sang in harmony. A chanting melody of imminent surrender. These creatures knew not hunger or satiation, but fed regardless, endlessly. They spoke the language of the trees and animals, but not to commune with nature, just to hear it suffer. They say their laughter can unlock doors, and their long fingers were stronger than corded steel, and never let go once they seized something they wanted. I dare say their song was a thing of beauty. I still hear it in my dreams. Their numbers were unknown, so large a quantity akin to infinity to a young mind. Their breath smelled of wood fire and vinegar, and their music broke me, drew me in. It paralyzed me. It was to be my farewell, resigned to whatever fate they had in store for my innocence. But a pounding shook the earth. The music faded to a hiss, like tea kettles and hornets. Whatever fear I was holding in my chest I could feel from then tenfold. A towering figure exploded from the brush, four legs, two heads wrapped in dark leather, and swinging an old blade. A blade that hadn't tasted blood or daylight since before my birth. It flashed like falling stars in the nightscape of the dark woods, and the creature screamed. Limbs and branches fell to the earth, swallowed by the cold soil nature taking back the corruption that composed them. 
hungrily entombing those fallen, to balance the scales. A huge hand plucked me from the base of the tree. I had grabbed out my pitiful kitchen knife without knowing it, and buried it into the thick trunk of a limb that wrapped me up and pulled me close. I screamed, and the beast screamed, and a horse whinnied, and the forest was in chaos. I fainted. I awoke to a warm, musky, familiar smell. Pipe tobacco, fresh earth, leather and wood. The swaying of the landscape and the heartbeat between my legs told me I was on horseback, and Father had me held tight to his chest, a knife wound wrapped in a kerchief on his forearm. The tired old field horse that powered our plow and pulled our wagon trotted along the road back towards the farm. I should have known he would notice I had left. Father was not the kind of man that you kept secrets from for long. But what I had witnessed in that forest was a man I did not know. Father rarely spoke of the war, but I knew he was a soldier. But that thing, that dervish of terror, was something otherworldly. Even the old farm mare had seemed a fiendish warhorse trampling foes as the unstoppable warrior stride it, cut down the creatures of the night like necktall barley. He said nothing as we rode back, just adjusted his glasses and looked out towards home. I shook the whole time. I felt both safe in his company and terrified by what I had seen behind the mask that I had thought to be truth. But it was still my father. And that day I learned many lessons. Lessons about nightmares and the terrible beauty they can beguile us with. Lessons about what happens to those who venture too far into the woods and become lost. And lessons about how heroes can take any shape, evolve as they need to step out of one life and into another. And how we never stop learning the truth about those who help to define us. The Page Turns A Tale of Journeys Past By Penelope Farthing I'm afraid I don't have many adventures before joining the League. Um, my life was very, very peaceful. There was, there was this one day. Um, Mama was, was away, like usual, and so I was exploring the woods. I probably went farther than I was supposed to go, as I left the valley behind me and I found the cutest creature out in the woods. Just this little fluffy thing and I, I gave it some of my lunch and we played all day and I played songs for it. And then when it followed me back home, it started eating all the food. <laughs> but no, that's that's not how it happened, is it? Why do I remember it that way? Why do I remember it that way? No, no, no. I I wrote it down. I I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. I put it in my book. And, the, and then my book went missing. What did I write? I wrote a rhyme so I would remember. How did it go? Penny Farthing, carefree child, roamed the forest free and wild. She danced in leaves and misbehaved till she heard crying from a cave. She, she peeked inside and saw within a, 
a, a shapeless thing with inky skin. Penny Farthing made mistakes. She fed it fruits and honey cakes. She broke its wards and set it free so she could share her nuts and tea. She played it songs that she had penned, delighted to have made a friend. Penny Farthing gasped with fright when it grew larger overnight. It feasted next on birds and game and formed their bones into a frame. On spindly limbs it hunted beasts, then sprouted claws and wicked teeth. Benny Farthing in her youth was too afraid to tell the truth. She raced back home in all her shame. They had no warning when it came. Twelve people made a tasty snack, their faces sprouting from its back. Penny Farthing, scared and sad, was hiding when it took her dad. Now thirteen faces gasped for breath. Her father's clearly yearned for death. She choked and sobbed, but stood her ground, took up her flutes, and played around. Penny Farthing, puffy-eyed, lured the monster to her side. It recognized the sorry fawn, spread thirteen mouths, and sang along. She led it back into the cave and fixed the wards so it would stay. Penny Farthing did remain, but never saw Papa again. She told Mama Calliope, who changed everyone's memories, forgetting friends known all their lives, because this world is paradise. As the last of the words of the final tale are scratched into dry vellum, the book closes, and the stone within the arch shifts with tooth-rattling grind. You now stand before a staircase, far longer than those that came before, leading you, inevitably, to the heart of the library, the place where all books begin. And as you descend, you take your first steps into the scriptorium. I, uh... Well... Yeah... That was quite the tale. I hope her pop's gonna be okay. Dirk... I'm sure he'll be fine. While it's uncertain whether Penelope Farthing's tale is true in the strictest sense, the fables of the Fae are infamous. In some planes, they're incapable of telling lies. In others, they're known for twisting the truth to suit their purposes. So, which is it? I know as much about the Fae as I do about how they get the filling inside Flump Dumplings, but the company won't answer any of my letters. Well, Dirk, as plural beings, Fae are bound to certain actions and impulses as dictated by their axial alignment. While every singularity is a deeply unique individual, they and other axial beings tend to fall into very predictable behavior patterns. The Fae are one with the caprice of nature, so tend towards impulsive and self-gratifying pursuits. I see. I see. 
I don't get it. Penny is a fae, and will therefore do as the fae do. This story is a perfect example of the fickle short-sightedness often played up in fairy tales. Like how I've been stealing bites of this fluff dumpling under the table every time I drop my pen. Actually, Dirk, yes, it's exactly like that. But in the fairy tale, your compulsive need to upset the flow of the broadcast would result in the Deep Dwarf rising from his burrow to gobble you up, bones and all. Maybe I'll wait for the break for the rest of the box. That might be for the best. We're about to witness a planar phenomenon, a keyhole between worlds that only marketing can penetrate. Join me as we glimpse into the adverse. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Alright, quiet down, you dusty dogs. The acting captain speaking. The captain always did us right. So when he set course to the Sigma Quadrant to hunt old Wooly Cox, we weren't just bound by the Star Whaler's creed. We were bound by loyalty. But now, we be bound by hair. With the captain... gone. And who's tangled in this matted coat of this great hairy bastard near a fortnight now? We've none of us had a shower, shave, or shag. Eh, we've had a shag. Except for Talithor and Greg. And we couldn't be happier for the two of you. But for the rest of us, it's been a lonely, stinky, hairy time. That's why as first mate and acting captain, I made the call. I've raided the captain's private reserve, and that's where I found it. The secret to our sweet release. Seems our beloved captain had a monkey on his back. A smooth, hairless monkey. Take the gun. We're saved. I should have bless the captain. Here be a crate of Manscaped personal grooming supplies. The Lunmar 4.0 will blast your pubes in the stardust. This fourth generation trimmer uses cutting-edge ceramic blades with advanced skin-safe technology, and the Crop Revitalizer and Crop Revivers will freshen up the fleshy orbital ballet in your trousers. We can finally shave that damn whale and be free! What? No. It's for your balls, son. But I thought... What? That we'd use a personal grooming kit to shave a giant whale. It's fur is thumb thick and hard as copper. We spent a week going at it with swords and barely made a dent. Get your head out of your ass. Now we be dead men. But at least we'll go out fresh and smooth with Manscaped. Meet the great beyond with confidence. Just go to manscaped.com and be sure to use promo code LUQ for 20% off 
and free shipping. Well, Captain, what are you talking about? I've no idea. That's just what he says in the copy. All right, boys, let's get shaven. Hey, all you cuties. Welcome to the mid-roll. Be sure to take your shoes off. We're charging ahead into the meat and potatoes of season two, and we hope you're hooked. Things are about to get crazy for the new team, and the world is just waiting to unfold for all of you. In the meantime, you can always go back and binge episodes of Season 1 while waiting for new episodes of Season 2 to come out, hashtag every fucking Monday. TheLUQ.com is where you go for all news about the show and things related to the show, like actors' pages, merch, and links to all of our social media. We'd love to see you on there, as well as in our legendary Discord. This show is made possible by our Patreon support. There wouldn't be an LUQ without our amazing patrons. Unlock tons of bonus content and D&D resources by following the link on our homepage. Higher tier patrons can make characters to join the battle axis and become part of the lore of the show, or become legends to be mentioned during the mid-roll as part of our legendary teams. Our current legendary teams are the Titans Rise, the Twilight Concord, the Forgotten Legacy, and this week's featured team, the Ceaseless Horde, with Dave Mlodnoff, Daniel Pickens-Jones, Patch Perryman, and Jeff Ammons. If you want to contact us to advertise with the show or get out a personal message, admin at slapdashstudios.com is the email. If you want to send actual physical stuff that, you know, isn't homemade food, the P.O. Box is 230091 Tigard, Oregon 97281. If you're in the Portland area on the weekend of September the 10th through 12th for Rose City Comic Con, the LUQ will have a live game panel on Sunday at 11.45 a.m. And we will let you know ASAP if that changes or anything gets modified. Follow us at twitch.tv forward slash slapdash streams to watch me and Zach play games during the week, including our cooperative Soul Link Nuzlocke on Wednesdays and new episodes of LUQ premiering every Monday night. Those are currently hosted by the fabulous Dungeon Mistress Dana and sometimes me and Zach. Tune in to find out who. Thank you all for everything. We're still striving to make the show grow as much as we can and have this be our full-time jobs, and your word of mouth is our greatest asset in that, as well as your financial support which you can literally hear being put to use from the time our first episode aired to today, as our quality constantly improves. LU cuties, you complete me. But enough out of me, let's get you back to the battle axis. Hello there, it's me, Divinathan from Scryco. I bet you didn't know you missed me, but I did. Just one of the many benefits of working with Scryco. Let me ask you this, friend. Are you frequently frightened by the foreboding finality of the future? Are you often inconvenienced by the linear nature of time? Scryco is here to help. Introducing a new cutting-edge apparatus that will give you, the valued customer, a chance to see directly into the future. Part the veil of time with ease, following three easy steps with the new Portent. Step 1. After purchasing from your local Scryco retailer or having delivered via one of our Scry Mall catalogs, erect the Portent in a suitable space, perfect for backyards or unfurnished basements. Step 2. Remove all clothing and earthly possessions before entering the portent and cast aside your ego and sense of self. Step 3. Lay facing upward very still for not one but six calendar days. Then presto! You'll have a brief glimpse into the future. 
Glimpses rarely last longer than three seconds. There is no way to control how far into the future these glimpses are, or who or where you will spectate from. It's just that easy. Luck out and get a glimpse of the winning lottery numbers. See your children's children's ugly faces. Witness the wasteland where once a society thrived. All in just three easy steps, using the portent. And yes, I know what you're thinking. It is machine washable. Scryco, we see what you have done. As you descend the long stair, the biblicor, the rich smell of books and leather, begins to recede, for this place is nearly bare of books. In its place, a melange of rancid fat, rotting flesh, and old dry blood. The walls are devoid of novels, tomes and treatises, instead lined with tanning racks, Stone cauldrons boiling glue from bone by magical heat. Bloodied tables. Barrels of chemicals. Trays of tools for peeling sheets of vellum from product of this foul art. And after it all, the desks. Rows upon rows of desks. Tall and slanted to preserve the posture of those who would labor upon them. Yet this carnal display is not what draws the eye. For opposite your position lies a work of art, so breathtaking as to leave you dumbfounded. Upon a low pedestal lies a massive tome, a book spanning ten feet end to end. Upon its pages, script of the utmost brilliance rests with ominous prophetic significance, enrobed by illuminations of such beauty and magnificent detail as to dwarf even the finest mortal works. And toiling before this masterpiece is a single page. Yet this is no mere guardian. Its thin frame towers over the book, every inch of it, from conical helm to its trailing robes, scripted and illustrated in messianic finery. In its hands lies a great wooden pen, carved deep with sacred text and stained in the blood of those who have sacrificed themselves to its purposes. As you enter, the Illuminator pulls himself free of his work and steps to the side of the great book. Across the blank page, words appear. We are the Codices. We welcome you, you who would seek knowledge. In the back of the party, Penny is still wiping away her tears, struggling to stand under the revelation of her lost memories. Hal leans over to Gaspar, notices that he's leaning towards the stump, and bends down even farther to get closer to the head and ears, and whispers, Wasn't this supposed to be an extermination quest? Are we seeking knowledge or destruction? My fear is that this thing wants to exterminate us for knowledge. Across the page, you see, in all things there is knowledge to be gained. You are clearly an entity of many knowledges. Do you know why we have come here? It is irrelevant. I want each of you to roll me a perception check. All right. Can get some minus ones on the table? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Great. Present dice. Uh-oh. All right, well, they had to do it to me eventually. What'd you get, Al? Eight. Gaspar? Fourteen. Nineteen. Dirty twenty. All right. Gaspar, you first notice on a small table to your right is what looks like a loadout, specifically the loadout carried by the pages. It looks like a pair of books in a simple book belt and a pouch of writing implements. Penny, you notice that there are large sheets of paper to either side of the codices. They are massive and blank, waiting to be bound and written. Iavos, you see something of particular note. Nearby to those sheets of empty paper, you see another that seems to have been torn out, and written in it is something you did not expect. It is a very simple but thorough description of fire. Hal notices none of these things, but he does start circling to get into position to maybe fight this guardian thing. You want us to ask you questions? Why is such a wretched place full of tortured souls wearing the face of something so beautiful like a library of knowledge? The words that were on it before disappear. We do as we are meant to do, and those who come here end as they were meant to end. So are you welcoming us as fellow knowledge seekers or as tomes of knowledge to be? Both. As the word both appears, the illuminator goes to the wall and tears a sheet of vellum. It then tears that piece into four pieces, equal size. It glides forward across the blood-stained floor and places a sheet in each of your hands. More words appear. There will come a time when you have a question to be asked of things that are or were, to which a simple answer would do. These fragments of us contain a ghost of all our knowledge. Use them as you will. It returns to the book. I turn to the party. We know why we were sent here, I fear. The doings here are so wrong. Hal is like 10 feet in front of you guys right now, so he probably doesn't hear you say this. Sure. That page over there, it looks as though it was ripped from this large tome. It speaks a word, a concept, fire. Neither the book nor the Illuminator move or react in any way. Are you implying what I think you are implying? I am simply trying to put the clues together and breaking my own heart at the words and truths I am understanding. Words appear. The only truth is contained within us. The truth of this place is as we intend. Gaspar is going to try and move around the room a little bit more to see if there's anything else of interest, like where these vestments of the pages are. From what you can tell, the left side of the room is dedicated entirely to the skinning, curing, preparing, and tanning of the vellum. The area to the right is what looks like a scriptorium proper, where the books are written in. You see no pages. 
As Halifon and Gaspar kind of pat around the room in their own ways, Penny is going to finish her, her bit of mourning and begrudgingly take up her position in front of Iavos. Whatever we do, we should do as a team. I feel paralyzed in having to make this choice. All right, Book. If the only truth is what's contained in you, what happens now? The codices do not know what will be, only what is, and what was. Well, that's convenient. Do we see any bodies where the skin is being turned into vellum? You don't, but what you do see is bones actively boiling in glue, and a fresh pot of blood being turned to ink. Gaspar is going to try and discreetly produce a flask of lantern oil from his adventuring pack. Okay. Go ahead and roll me a sleight of hand. We're looking at a 16. No. 15. Okay. Well, it knows everything that is and was, so as soon as you do it, it knows about it. Maybe. (laughs) All right, you've got your lantern oil. So it's behind my back, and I'm looking over or at least trying to observe a Yavos behind me, if this is what he means. We cannot let this wretched place continue doing as it is. It's too unthinkable, but I cannot make the choice myself. This place cannot be allowed to exist. I don't share those exact feelings, but we do have a job to do. Hal, you are the acting captain, it would seem. What would you have me do? How... Hal plants the butt of his halberd on the ground, cocks a smile to one side of his mouth, and says, Iovos, what kind of breath weapon does a gold dragon have? Very well then. Iovos takes his sister's bottle and holds it up, placing the cork between his teeth, and undoes it as he opens a tiny doorway to the dimension of flame and lets out a long line of black-burning pitch tar between him, the book, and the Illuminator. All right. They must make deck saves. No, they don't. The moment your spell is cast, it falters. A thick, viscous fluid pours forth, but it's completely inert. Because after all, the only truth in this place are the words in the codices, and fire, tragically, rests on the walls. I want everyone to roll me initiative. That boop's a moop. Somebody ought to teach it a hot lesson. I would think that setting fire to a dungeon made entirely of wood might pose as much of a threat to the adventurers as the monster. But despite the inherent danger, Team Gold Dragon seems willing to risk it all to bring an end to this vicious volume. So, if they kill the book, what happens to the little ghost farts? You know, the the soul moons. Do, Do they die? It's difficult to say, Dirk. But if the fragmented and tortured souls of those lost to this dark place were to perish, I would think it more of a blessing than a curse. I don't know, Rusty. Being a firebug sounds pretty flop. Judging by your affinity for setting flame to the book, I'd guess you're already something of a firebug. You know what I mean. I want to soar through the air, my white-hot tuchus glowing in the wind. Not a care in the world other than noshing leaves and smashing with ladybugs. My gods, that's it, Rust. If I could be anything, I'd be a bug. I think you missed the spirit of the question. 
No, no, it's perfect. No more early warning wake-up calls. I only call you because you refuse to set an alarm. I wouldn't need my Daglo harem pants because my shiny hiney would have the ultimate glow-up. Aspen says harem pants are out this season. And I can eat other people's food. You already do that. Sure, but when Bendis yells at me for bogarting his goulash, it won't hurt my feelings when he calls me vermin. Because I will be vermin. And when a child traps you in a pickle jar or a bat swoops out of the night to take you in its gnashing jaws, what then? Eh, I'll have led a good life. I'm doing it. I'm going to find me a wizard and ante up enough Quinn to bug out. Well, there you have it, folks. With any luck, our next broadcast will be myself and the luminous Lampira Dirk Beetle Bradley. If you have any love for this humble anchor, pray that he meets. I was like 75% sure that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> That's I had awesome. a hunch, but I wanted to make yeah, sure. I did, I did like leave it. a clue. Not too oh, obvious yeah, a clue. Right. Just a vague one. Yeah. yeah. Which Hal hadn't seen, so. I think we had to do it. I yeah. really like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I wanted that scene to play out pretty much like that. <sighs> right. It was good. Otherwise, I would have said I'm casting it at second level. <laughs> right. That's fair. Does, um... Do gold dragons have a line of fire or is it a cone? Do you know? <laughs> a cone. It's a, it's a fire breath weapon. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Fair I believe it's a cone. It probably is. I don't know if there's a line fire. I don't know, acid and Yeah, I don't. I mean, there, there could be. And a red dragon's are a cone. I'm rolling a anyway. D4. Let's see who's doing the outro. Right. Oh, shit. It's outro time. I yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. I was going to say if it's a one and it just goes between me and Angelo. It's a three. That's me. That's that Lau. It's Lau. Uh, let's go around the table and introduce these dinguses. Uh, my name is Michael Loving. I play Helifan Orson Jr., the uh, tragic backstory Pilladin and Barbarian. But I had the least tragic backstory, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Angelo Kaluig. I play Gaspar, the headless rogue of the Phantom subclass. And I write sins, not tragedies. <laughs> <laughs> I am Dana Ebert. I play Penny Farthing the Fawn, who tragically forgot her papa. The narrative was moving too fast for me to give Penny more hugs, but I was so sad. I just wanted to pet her little head, make sure she's okay. Actually, I group meeting. Sorry for hustling past that. No, no, no. Oh, it's fine. I intentionally stopped at that point because that's such like a good cut. But um, yeah, I I, I had some pretty ugly crying for Penny, like coming out of that (laughs) that I considered. Yeah. I like that the stories got darker as they went. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god. god. <laughs> that and was a perfect order. When a seven-year-old dying and just got darker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she brought me back. Yeah. Uh, my name is Law. I play Ayavos Isadora, the witness to the Withering Acre and creative director of Slapdash Studios. I'm Zach Barkas. I'm the dungeon master as well as the technical director for Slapdash Studios. I want to thank Hediger the Editor for doing his editing and uh, Bree Golden for designing the beautiful map we're about to use. Yeah. yeah. Wait. Hedegar the editor pulling some extra editing work and editing all of our little stories into the book because Zach said they looked edigid <laughs> after we spoke them. Indeed. Edigid. Well, uh, thank you for listening. Um, it's been a delight to have you along for the journey. Um, we're not, we're just getting started, baby. So uh, we hope you're enjoying a season two as much as we're enjoying playing in it, especially this very special fun book dungeon. I know book I'm dungeon. delighted and tingly in my special spaces. <laughs> Don't disrespect the l- 
labyrinth <laughs> by calling it a book dungeon. Refer to it by its proper name. It's, yeah. <laughs> it is It is hard to say, admittedly. <laughs> no, I love it. If you want any information about LUQ, be it links to the actor's personal pages where they can send you to their social media or their Kofi's, uh, you can find those on the LUQ.com as well as links to our Patreon, the best Patreon on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, also our Discord, definitely the best Discord on the internet. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, but you can become a member of the Battle Axis, have your characters mentioned in shows, all that good stuff. You heard the mid-roll. I already do this every week. <laughs> um, but please, visit the LUQ.com and please leave a review and tell your friends about the show. It helps us grow. It helps us keep doing this. And we want to keep doing this. Oh boy, oh boy, we want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. I think we need to quickly go over the play of the game and oh, the MVP. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I just like quickly say that everyone did a phenomenal job on those stories the yeah. MVPs are all of you that's how actually, I feel actually I was going to say I think MVP is Zach for thinking up that prompt that I was going to say <laughs> I think the play of the game is prompt is Zach prompting us yeah. to write short stories alright <laughs> it's a good play it's a good play yep. uh, definitely saved me having to come up with content for a first half of the episode right bam, bam. Yeah. <laughs> produced a bunch of highlights yeah. see that's mm-hmm. a that's a that's a DM top tip if you ever need to do filler, get your players to write background for you. Give your yeah. players homework. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's our dream, each getting to dump like new lore specific to our character for oh, yeah. our like fans of our characters. Mm-hmm. That's all, the dream. All done in our own style. It made yeah. sense. They all very much sounded like they were coming from the characters. <laughs> yeah, they were all in our own style. And that's that's very cool because we have very different writing styles. I just wanted to keep all my lore to myself. But <laughs> you forced me to leak yeah. it. Forced my Got hand. Got to drop that fucking last name. Yeah. I've already forgotten it. Alif Not, which is fucking awesome. It's really cool. That is so cool. I remember uh, when I heard it, I had like the little goose pimples yeah. down my it's back. It's a great fucking name. Did we pick up play of the game then? If if Zach is... Zach oh, is no, play. Play of the I'm game. Play. Y'all and are the we're MVP. All sharing MVPs. Oh, we're all sharing MVP. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, right. that but, page but, of fire. But seriously, if y'all in the audience want to pick an MVP, go ahead and shout it out. I will, I will have to say for me personally, it's Dana. That was fucking a bonkers. When I was writing it, I was thinking, you're in my styles are very similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm getting that. I'm seeing that. <laughs> yes, but uh, until next time when we have more stories to bring you, uh, we wish you luck. <laughs>